Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good morning. This is Trey Cashin. I'm along with Thaddeus Romanski. And, Good morning, uh, Trey. How are you doing? I'm doing good. My my wife's not here. That's kind of a bummer, but she's going to be back. We're it's it's been uh, it's just you think summer is going to be slower and and it's not, and you think it's going to be less packed and it's, it's not. not, and you think that after 23 years of parenthood, we know that it's and still it's a mystery. And you have it. It's still a mystery. <laughs> it's still a mystery, but um, but anyway, I think well we could have some fun uh, talking today. And hope y'all will enjoy it. And Steph will be back. I think next. I think the next time you hear us, we'll have. Um, I believe we're going to have. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe we're going to have Monica Ashour. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe it's the one after the seventh. The seventeenth. Uh, yeah, two. The seventeenth. So today's going to be now. two from now. Okay. Today is the th- is the third. That's right. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm two away from that. But anyway, I always get excited about having Monica Ashour on. So. Hey, let's just begin with a prayer and uh, begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family in Nazareth, Grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so um, we were talking last time through this article, and there are a couple things that I thought were that we didn't get to that I thought were were interesting, and then there was a conversation that Thaddeus and I had briefly after our last our last discussion. That I think are pertinent and can only really point us back to uh, the true mystery of parenthood, <laughs> not where a summer goes. Or and so this that. article is how families contribute to the rise and fall of civilizations, and it's kind of an essay on the thought of this uh, mid twentieth century sociologist Carl Zimmerman. Yes, and I mean the thing that's that's interesting to me is and we talked about it last week is is about how accurate he is at least the the, the original uh person I guess it was Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Um and and actually prophetic in a sense even though he's not speaking from a from a Catholic or not even for sure, even a Christian viewpoint, just just a a uh, sociologist, psychiatrist, psych- psychological standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think this points us to the fact, you know, I think of Romans, was it Romans 1 or 2, where, you know, it, it's God has revealed himself in and through and people can recognize him even if they don't have um the fullness of the truth, even if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, there are things that point to the truth about who God is anyway. And I think that this gives us some, um, at least a, a way of seeing that it's possible to come to conclusions that are consistent with what the church would teach, albeit maybe shallow on a shallower level, but that, that are consistent with the church's teaching without 
having to even reference the church or her teachings, which again points to the fact that that as Christians, it's about faith and reason. I mean, it's not it's not um, faith informs our reason, but reason open to what is true, good, and beautiful can begin to tap into the revelation of God through the natural order, even if they don't recognize it as God's revealing himself. Which I think is comforting to us. It shouldn't, it shouldn't um, surprise us that if God created the world that people who are honest and, um, I guess, you know, forthright in their attempt to discover the truth and to recognize beauty um, and to see what is truly good can begin to catch glimpses of what the church is teaching. The church just has the fullness of why it's that way. So anyway, I just, I find it, I find it interesting. There was a couple things in here that I, that jumped out at me. One is on, I guess, page three and I'll read it, but you know, we've always told our, we've always told our uh, people that we've talked to that if you can't have children early, have them early, that there's really, it's a, it's a lie to say you got to get to, you, you get to know your spouse more completely and you begin to be transformed through the grace of the sacrament of marriage and through parenthood in a way that draws you closer together. So we're not proponents of putting them off. And I find it interesting that in this article, it says that, you know, Zimmerman affirms the virtue of early marriage. And this is quoting him. It says, persons who do not start families when reasonably young often find that they're emotionally, physically, psychologically unable to conceive, bear, and rear children at later ages. Well, some of that's just biological, and that's that's a fact um, if you put something off. But, but at the same time, I know. <laughs> Stephanie and I had trouble finding, getting, we were told we weren't going to have be able to have children. I mean, we actually were told that we really? ought to look at we're, okay. we ought to look at uh, at adopting, and there were adoption books, stacks of them, um, in our room uh, when we found out that we were having Trevor, um, your first child, first child. But that was seven years into marriage, you know. So we had our first child. I guess Stephanie was, you know, early thirties, and um, I know now at the age that I am. And I see other guys that are my age that had kids earlier. And again, this providence, this is not because we tried to put it off. It's because it was, it just, it was in God's plan that that's the way it happened. And we're so grateful to him, um, that, that he allowed us to have not just one, but, but six children. But that being said, I see some of the younger people that have them young and, um, God willing, um, and they are, we feel tired, certainly keeping, <laughs> keeping with, I, they keep us young and I feel young mentally, emotionally, but, but I definitely feel older, uh, than I ought. And I think that I could see, you know, we didn't put it off, um, because of something that we did, it just happened that way. And so it's God's providence and his omniscience and his love for us that has put us where we are. And for that, we're grateful. But for those who would say, I want to try to put off having children for no other reason than we need to be married without kids for some period of time um, to come to know each other, I would say that that's probably not true. It's probably not something that's coming from God. And it's probably not something that's the, that's the best Kids, I think, bring the best out of, they brought the best out of me for the most part. <laughs> and um, and I think the best out of Stephanie for the most part. So he calls it the virtue of early marriage, that um, to not only to get married early, but then to um, be open to having children at an earlier stage. And I don't know what the stu- I don't know what the studies are, but I do know this. I mean, I know that people put off getting married for one reason or another and the marriages are occurring much later, later later part of their 20s, not the earlier, you know, even even some as late as in the in you know early 30s. It seems more like that's what you do. People go get their job, they they 
do their professional and then I mean oftentimes the argument is I we're gonna wait till I can afford them or <laughs> Yeah. And uh I think that I think that again they're not something to be afforded, they're some something to be welcomed as a gift and then God will provide you um with the means to do it. Even if it's a struggle. Um it's still worth every penny, every moment. Um, to do that. I wouldn't change anything. I don't know what's your experience. How old do, I mean, how, what are your kids? They're what age to what age? Um, the oldest is going to be 10 this August. The youngest is going to be two this July, this, this month. And how old were y'all when y'all came? Well, how old were you? I'm sure Robin's like only 22, right? <laughs> yeah, st- still, yeah, yeah. Um, I was 29 when we got married. 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you don't. Again, this is not a. This is not a. We had about four years before we had Michael. There's, there is not. I mean, this is what I'm, what I am saying, and what I'm not saying. Before we conceived, I should say. What I'm not, what I'm not saying is that you force the issue to do it. What I'm not saying is that if God doesn't allow you to have children, then that somehow there's something wrong. It's not, that's not it. God's providence is great. And he can bring good out of, you know, people who get, who struggle getting pregnant of people who, everything he can bring good out of. What I'm pointing at is that there is a a tendency for the culture to say that you need to put it off for other reasons. And what I'm, what I am saying is, is that, that that's false. Um, I'm not saying that somehow you or whoever's a bad person because they, they didn't get married. That's not, that is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being open to what God has called you to. I think sometimes we have to be careful about how we say things, but I think at the same time, we can't, we have to say what's true and then qualify it. And, you know, sometimes people get their feet, I mean, their toes stepped on or, or take things personally when in fact what we're saying is not an attack on them um, because they're older or because they didn't have kids till later, but on the idea that necessarily the right thing to do is to wait till you're much older to get married. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I bet a lot of people would probably say um, no matter when it was in their marriage that they had their first child and if they had some distance on that moment, I bet they would say, "I wish we, I wish we could have had children sooner." Right. Um, I don't. I think. I think that that's something that comes along with, um, in in general, that comes along with having. I think we would. Children. I mean, we wanted them sooner. Um, I there's a there's a good friend of mine who's I think one year older than me, and they start they had kids. I think they got married like 22. They started having children. They had their last child by the time they were 28 or something. And, and he jokes around that, you know, and I think he's actually pointed to this. Not, it's not because it was, that was his plan, but he talked about, about the people that were his age that were saying, y'all shouldn't have had kids so young. And he's going, you know, now I'm sitting on the porch with my wife at 50 years old with children out um, and waiting for grandkids and being <laughs> open, and I'm still young enough to be able to enjoy it. And again, we're going to be old. I mean, Cash and Stephanie and I are going to be old as a result of the way things worked out. And again, in God's providence, that's what he hasn't planned for me. And then for others, it'll be different. But all things being equal, do not buy the culture's wait until I have enough money or I have enough this or I have enough of that mm-hmm. um, before you start having children. I think that's what people... Um, can get maybe can hear incorrectly is that when you're saying something like this you're not necessarily saying uh, it's not a good idea for a particular couple you know generic right uh, hypothetical couple what you're speaking to is what this sociologist is speaking to which is it's better for a society if the cultural weight is behind early marriage, if you have the majority of the population right. engaging in early marriage, early childbearing, having um, 
in excess of replacement r- rate amounts of there, children. Right. That's good for the health of the society. Right, and, and, that's, and I think you have to be able to have these conversations without just because you may say something. I mean, because we would be completely <laughs> against, I mean, we, our family, I mean, we're, we still have kids and we're in, in high school and we're, you know, we're going to be 55, 56 before the last ones get out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time my, my mother, my mother already had grandkids and all of her kids married off by the time she was that age. So we're not going to be there. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is that I, that the real answer is be open to what God has for you. If you find somebody who you believe God's calling you to, to marriage and, and you two come together to believe that, then don't buy. There may be other things that you have to consider. I'm not saying forget school and get married. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is, do not buy into somehow your marriage is going to be better if you get married and then stay without children purposefully trying not to for a number of years because you need to travel together or you need to do this or that. That's what I'm saying is, you know, every person is every family, every marriage is unique and unrepeatable and, God's going to work differently through every family, and he's going to have gifts and talents we've talked to, so keep to that. But allow God to be your guide. Allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Allow God's grace to be your guide. Do not allow the world and the culture to be your guide. I guess that's ultimately what I'm saying, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not picking people that, you know, don't have, a lot of kids, that's, no, that's not what I'm saying, or that stayed, you know, stayed without having kids because of other issues that maybe were serious. What I am saying is just in general, be open to God's call, and if God wants you to have children young and you're able to do that, then be open to it, even though there may be a lot of people saying, oh, don't do it, it's too hard, (laughs) or whatever. So, Do you think that one of the things you... And Stephanie have been Stephanie have been successful at is helping your children to see and live and experience the joys of a big family and a I hope boisterous so. family and an active family. You know, I just should have to have people come over. I you know, I, I'm at the age now where where I find myself just sometimes sitting back and just wa- just observing what's going on. I don't you know, it, there's a I guess a little bit of nostalgia because you're just like, I want to enjoy the last few years that they're all around. But we had father Ryan over the other, you know, the other day, you know, he, father Ryan's, you know, last mass was Sunday. The first time he ever came over to our house was Friday. You know, wow. um, I said, I guess we're a little bit delinquent. Um, but what, but what was ha- what happened was is short of my oldest son, the, there, all five of the kids were there and me and Stephanie and father Ryan and, what I enjoyed was all of the all of the um, the laughter and the jokes and the telling back and forth. They started talking about and this was not they were talking about certain mannerisms of of uh, of various priests, you know, throughout and and um, and one of my the funnier moments was I, was Father Ryan said, "So what? I mean, what would be something?" And I couldn't think of anything, but I mean, almost immediately, two of my kids did the same thing with their hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the entire I mean the whole house broke loose in laughter yeah. um because of that. And so I, I you know I look in my For my, our radio listeners, Trey's doing, doing it. I don't two know hands what that with, is. like two, he's flipping a, a table over like a with with his, with his, my index finger and my mm-hmm. thumb. And anybody that's seen Father Ryan, you know, he did that and it was funny. Then we saw him at at Mass, we went and he said, I I, I tried, I had something in my other hand and I just could never, I could never do it, but I wanted to do it because I saw y'all up there <laughs> just to get y'all to laugh. Oh, that's great. But, uh, but, but I, I think that we should all strive for, you know, there are no doubt sacrifices that occur and things that are not able to be had in most circumstances when you have a large family. That's just a fact. I mean, financially, 
everything. You know, things, there's a lot of different moving parts, as you know. But whether you have one, two, or ten kids, we should be a house if we're, if we're meant to be a domestic church and if that's meant to be an outward reflection of who the church is that should, for the most part, reflect joy to the world. When somebody comes in, they should be, you know, when, when, when I got married, my, well, actually, I'll even fast forward. When my mom died, um, one of my good friends came to her funeral and I had not heard, um, I had not, he had never said this to me. He said, but I'm here, Trey, because your parents were, and your family was the first experience of something that made me want to get married and have kids and recognize through our marriage that, you know, God's joyful presence in and among us. And that, that always stuck with me because certainly, you know, my, we had arguments in our family. We, (laughs) we had plenty of, you know, negative things that occurred, but I think in general, me growing up, my parents did a good job of creating a sense of joy that was just about being together, not about what we were doing or what we had. It was about just being us together and having those inside jokes that only brothers have or all the things that, 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 that go on inside a family that make it a fun place to be. And so we always want our, our children to come, um, to want to bring our kids home, you know, um, bring their friends home and, uh, and for them to be around us. And hopefully we've done that. Um, I've sure enjoyed it. It's drawn to a close, but, uh, I've, I've enjoyed it with all the struggles and trials that, that occur as a result of the sacrifices that occur because of, there's just a lot going on. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, it does. But I, but I hope that that's, and we as Catholic families, we as married couples with with kids, or or even if it's just a single parent with kids, we we would I would think that we would our best witness is just day to day life, people coming in and recognizing we're normal, you know, we're we're we're. I think the reason that people sometimes felt comfortable in our house is they recognized we weren't special you know we weren't like they don't ever argue they don't ever disagree they don't ever lose their temper just normal people but somewhere down under that underneath that you would i think most people would say i hope they're a joyful family if i had a family like that i'd like if i could have one like that but my own i would i would like it to be that way so um anyway but i just think that Married, married life and 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 parenting are such a gift and really the you know the centerpiece of what we're called to do. It's not something on the side. It's not another thing that you that you uh, put on the table. It's the it's the very heart of a family. I think is the marriage and the and the kids. So anyway. Um, I just thought that it was interesting that that he was making the argument for early marriage uh, as a norm, not as, uh, you know, (laughs) everybody needs to get married early any more than the church would say everybody needs to have a big family. Just we need to be open to life and we need to be open to and not limit ourselves based on what what, what is said out there. Now, I think, you know, one of the things that that I thought – that we talk about is kind of the discussion that we had afterwards. Cause it was kind of eye opening. I'm not exactly even sure how we got around to it, but, but it kind of got me thinking back to what the mystery of parenthood has always been about. That, that Can you re- recap our conversation? Well, you know, at the heart of the conversation was that, um, that the real, that, that one of the central issues to everything that's going on now is, is it, Catholics in a Christian view, and I think he's saying here, is that you have to have unity and diversity going hand in hand. 
it's not either or, it's not one more than another. It's in a perfect world, we've got to be united in where we're headed towards and yet diverse. And I think one of the things, I don't even remember how it came Kind of in a creative tension almost. In a, yeah, in a creative tension. Because, I mean, you know, I know in our family, I mean, Stephanie and I's personalities are, are very different. Our, certainly our gifts are very different. And, and there can be some tension created. But for us, the kids were a unifying, if you looked at like what we were doing day to day, it was a unifying, it was a common point of interest, a common direction that we were headed. And the longer we've parented, the more we realize that it's the diversity that God gave us, the differences that we have, that have made us more capable as a couple in unity with one another to raise our kids because of our differences. Our differences actually complement one another. Um, they can also be the point of departure on, on many an argument or, or a disagreement, both in how we handle parenting, but just in general. But when we sit back, I think that, the, that we recognize now that diversity, our diverse, different ways, personalities, um, temperaments, et cetera, are all part of what help us go to a common goal. What I'm saying, and the reason it came up is, you know, as we were talking, I was like, any anybody knows that has run a good company, that has coached a good team, done whatever. You have to have a common purpose. You know, you have to have you have to agree on this is where we're headed, and then you have to recognize that sometimes some people that may have differences with you that may even those differences might even cause you to be annoyed or whatever. You have to recognize that even with those annoyances that, that there's something about that difference that is perhaps adding to your ability to, to reach that one common goal. And I think if we look at marriage that way, there's not a good coach out there that's not able to take the, you know, different personalities, different talents, different whatever, um, and meld them together all towards a common goal. And so for a family, the common goal is we need to get to heaven. And one of the ways that spouses are going to be asked to help each other get to heaven is to try to get lead their children to heaven. And that amidst that thing that becomes a family, we've got to recognize that all those differences add to what's fun about being, but it's also adds to the difficulty. Mm-hmm. If everybody if everybody saw everything the way Stephanie did, then the house would be very neat. But you know, there are things that she wouldn't do, <laughs> or wouldn't allow us to do if she if you know. I, well, why do we have to take that out? You know, it's it's just too much. You know, that we'll go and do, and that causes a mess. And I guess what I'm saying, it's all these challenges, and we have to work with one another. Yeah. Thank God it's a neat house, but. That's what's that's what's happening, I think. But unity and diversity, from a Catholic perspective, is flows from the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God, who is a unity, one God, and who is a diversity, three distinct persons, but one God. We're meant to reflect that, not be a bunch of the same people. I think you can go one of two ways. This culture tends to like say. Diversity is the most important thing. So everybody needs to be whoever they think they are. Without a, you know, coexist bugs the heck out of me. We're meant to do more than coexist. <laughs> We're meant to co-flourish. Mm-hmm. We're meant to, you know, co-get better. I mean, what, what's the right word? I have no idea. But we're not just meant to walk alongside other just existing. And not, in, not intermingling. Not, not, not interacting, intermingling, discussing. That's a lie. I, I, I mean, anybody wants to call in about that? I hate those stickers. Not you dislike them intensely. I'm sorry. I dislike them a lot. Um, I probably shouldn't use that word. My kids wouldn't allow me to do that because I don't allow them to use the word either. But it really bothers me to think that all we're meant to do is coexist in our differences. And the the lie is is that we raise up diversity 
and then somehow say we're going to be unified because of the diversity alone. And that if you disagree with somebody that somehow you're going to cause disunity and it's your fault for even having a discussion with somebody who doesn't share your beliefs or just to even question something that they have. Well, we have to have truth and we have to have grace to be able to have those conversations which lead us to the best of what's good, the best of what's true, the best of what's beautiful. And that's that's where we have to reintegrate this tension, not just in our families. That, I think there's a great example where you look at your spouse and you recognize that he or she has different gifts, <laughs> different things that are crosses maybe for you to bear because they don't handle things as, you know, in a way that's consistent with you, whatever they are, we can look at that. But even across the culture, we've got to, we've got to say, it's got to be more than just, you know, get along by not engaging, but just by merely accepting even that which we might know is not true. That's not love. That's not flourishing. That's not being all that we can be. We should be able to have discussions with other people and recognize that we can be unified in our diversity, not unified necessarily because of our diversity, but unified in our diversity. And that the flip side is, which we don't see as much now today, but you can probably see it in different circles where somebody wants to say, we, we're going to have unity by squashing diversity. We're all going to wear the same thing. We're all going to be, we're not, we're going to try to all look the same and be unified that way, but, and diminish whatever differences we might have. I would think that would maybe be, maybe say in a Nazi Germany or something like that, where, you know, everybody had to look the same way. God forbid there be any diversity. But I think what that says to us is it points us to what the mystery of parenthood is about. God made us in his image and in his likeness. God has revealed himself as one God, a unity, in three persons, diversity, unity and diversity. And the application to that is to say, if God's made us in his image, then whatever we do, we have to be able to hold unity and diversity together. So we have to find that common goal, which is a, as parents, let's get each other to heaven. Let's get our kids to heaven. While at the same time, recognizing, bringing out those differences that help us become more and more, which may be that difference may be a cross that we need to bear, a sacrifice we need to make. You know, some people are better at putting things up <laughs> than others. Some people are better at organizing things than others. Some people are able to be more um, spontaneous than somebody else. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know. I, I think, would you say that one of the uh, challenges of, of being a, a good parent, uh, of having a, if we look at these principles in within family life, it's it's having the wisdom to recognize what are the essentials and formulating, for example, when you have the little ones, the young ones. These this is how we're gonna do, you know, dinner and then bedtime routine and we're going to get into bed at this time right. and like we got to hold fast to that right to because this is what mother and father have decided is how they're going to get that done that that's an essential those are some essential things that have to be accomplished every single day and we're going to do it this way but we're not going to uh that's not going to become so all-consuming that it it squashes the uh, individuality and the um, right, yeah, I, the personality of of the 
the members of the the children and the parents in, in accomplishing that essential right I mean so the unity would be in effort. our house needs to be somewhat in order everybody needs to get sleep you know all the things that are are, are good mm-hmm. true and beautiful we all need rest things need to be put up it doesn't need to be a train wreck of a house all that type of stuff but you know for us it may be hey you know this one person is really good at at getting things. So they may begin to see what the body of Christ is like, where there's certain gifts and talents where, hey, why don't you, because you're really good at making things organized. You know, I have one child that, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, she's unbelievable at organizing things and putting things up. You know, we're going to use that and and bring that out and then even ask her maybe to help show somebody who's not how to do it. But it's all towards that common purpose. You know, things need to be put up. They need to put it in the right in the right place. So we have to have kind of a unity of purpose, but then we don't want to, we don't want to be a squasher of, of what makes people different. Um, we want to point out the differences and recognize those differences that are good and additions and even find ways to maybe point out to, to look, look, look at how our family is. There's all these different personalities and gifts and talents and even weaknesses. And that we're meant to, fill each other's holes where I'm strong. I should be helping somebody who's weaker in that where I'm weak. I should be expecting that somebody would come and help me. We're not a bunch of people that are just living as individuals underneath a house and everybody's on their own. Right. We're, we're, we're meant to work together for the common good of the family. And that's why it's so important that families exist the way they were meant to exist. And it's the same thing. It's meant to be. And again, there are good families for one reason or another that, that, that don't look like this, but in it, all things being equal, in a perfect world, it would be best for a mother and a father who are the biological parents of those children to, to work together as a family towards the common goal of, of heaven, but that takes place in and through do we have an orderly house? Do we have a house where sacrifice is at the center of it? Do we take care of each other when one's lacking? Does, does somebody else provide? And that's why it's important if you have that as a common goal. Can't always be that way. There, I mean, and, and there are great families that don't. And again, it, it, it's, a, it's sad to me that we, can, we, we have to qualify it in this day and age so much because people get their, their feelings hurt and stepped on. I'm not saying that I, I recognize that that is not always the case. In fact, it may, in many cases, not be the case, more than just one or two. But I think we can all can agree that probably is the best case, all things being equal, that that's the way it was meant to be, and that that's how people learn how to operate in society. You know, I think the G.K. Chesterton, I've heard it on 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 one of the spots here on the radio and I don't even know how to quote but he said you know basically you can get along with the coworker who you don't like because you've had to deal with aunt betty who you don't like you know you kind of you you've had to deal with in your family right with those problems and learn how to deal with those problems that is the training ground for working with somebody at work that you don't like or on a team that you don't get along with and recognizing that sometimes even though we don't get along and we don't have the same gifts and talents that we can recognize that some people who are, are better than us at a particular thing and then praise them for that and recognize that they can be an addition even if we don't like their personality. That's the way life is. We're, we need to be humble enough to recognize other people's gifts. Yeah, that's an interesting thought about uh, like a team, for instance. You know, you're kind of suggesting that when you come together around a common goal— so winning, right. okay, that's, that's the primary goal of a right. team. That's why people come together on a, on a sports team is to, is to win. Um, you've got your teammates. You have to be willing to – you've got to set aside their personal foibles and their, per, their personal predilections and say, for this, we're teammates, and th- you know, that's what we're sticking to, and we're kind of – we're kind of setting all that other stuff aside for the time being because we're engaged in this common goal. 
And I think I hear what you're saying, or or I'm maybe I'm keying off of it. That maybe we're we're inclined we maybe we're inclined as a society to kind of want our cake and eat it too. Like you know that we're, we can come together. Or we should be able to come together around a common goal, and be able to say uh, that we don't have to put up with right. differences. Which I mean, does that, make, does that make any sense? No, I do. I think I think it's it's unrealistic to for anybody to think that. I I don't know. I mean, in the family that I have, you know, I love my brothers and I'd do anything for them, and and my nieces and nephews, and I would do anything for them. But there, but, and I'm sure they have the same thing. There are bits and pieces of their personalities or what they do or how they handle certain circumstances that bother me, just like I know that I bother them on those things. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to, that's the way life or is. Or maybe a better way of saying it is we're coming together around, maybe we have this this conception that when we come together around a common goal, we also at the same time have to say that everything about everyone that's involved in that common goal we agree with and that we're okay with. And right. and no, that's not... We're not saying that we're we're engaged in this common endeavor, and you know you have some particular skill sets that are right. good for all of us achieving this common goal. But I'm not even I'm not getting into whether I agree with some right. of the other things about well, you. Well, and, and it doesn't it's not germane. And 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 it, and that that is absolutely true. And I think that what can happen over time and this is something good for a family and we've tried we've had situations like this just with kids dealing with children you working together towards you know getting packed up to go on vacation or whatever and everybody's got to do their part. And maybe somebody's, you know, struggling with making the time or they've got something else going on or whatever. What I think can happen is, is you say, look, we're all working towards a common goal and, and, and we need to set aside the differences, but at the same time, the relationships being built and we can go outside of this and have a discussion because of the relationship that is built on the unity of common purpose, that, that, that relationship, we can work on or discuss those things but coming to agreement on those things that we differ on is not necessarily pertinent to to the common goal, but it can be an opportunity for people who may not have ever talked about something to actually come together and, and talk. And I think that's where we're getting, because I think anybody that disagrees now with anything gets you know, either deemed to be some sort of... Um, bigot or something like that just because they may say something that people take so many things personally now, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they take they, just because somebody disagrees with me doesn't mean, or just because I disagree with you or somebody else doesn't mean I don't like you. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, but if you, you take that language, even, um, it's, I'm disagreeing with an idea that you have. I'm not disagreeing with you, he I'm not in disagree. I'm not in disagreement with with you, as a human being. It's I disagree with an opinion that you hold. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but but I mean, I, and bear with me as I think through this because, like, if right, I think one of the things that that happens is is people, particularly in a world where, you know, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. As opposed to there's something out there that we're searching for. There's a truth that exists separate from the two of us and that we can commonly seek that. Mm-hmm. And you may think it's one thing and I may think it's another, but both of us agree that in all likelihood or both of us are not right if we hold something different. I think that when it gets to the point where my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth, it tends to lead to where you're talking about that if I don't agree with your truth, then I'm attacking you because you're the source of that truth mm-hmm. as opposed a to, a dis- as, as opposed to a discussion that could occur if it's separate from you. Cause you're saying the same thing. You're saying it, that it is, I'm talking about a thing that you believe, not about you personally. I can disagree with this thing over here without disliking you. I can, I can not like what you hold to be true because mm-hmm. I don't think it is true without saying I don't like you. Yeah. 
I think those days. I mean, I think that's a that, good insight. I, well, I, don't, I mean, I, it just it hit me as you were saying that is well, that's true. People take things more personally, and I'm guessing that's why. Because listen, we are not the. I'm not the truth, and you're not the truth. You know, the, from a Christian standpoint, there is one who is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. He's sep- He's separate from us, and yet in some sense, one with us, right? We have to adhere to him. Wherever we're different, we need to look to him. But truth does not lie in me in myself. (laughs) If it lies in me, it's because of whatever the one who is the truth. And so we as Catholic Christians, we as Christians should be able to have a discussion, certainly as Christians, saying, I'm not the truth and you're not the truth. And what we believe may or may not be the truth, but the only way to judge that is it stands outside of us in the person of Jesus. So we should be able to have a discussion without getting into a, we can even have an argument, but without personally attacking one another. But I do think that the culture, we have to teach our kids that. We, we need to be able to separate from the person. You've always heard the, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. It's the same idea. We can love a person that we completely disagree with. We could love an atheist who we may not hold anything in common with and have discussions with that atheist out of love for him about things that that person believes that we may not or about things that we believe that he doesn't and separate those from the person themselves. I think in this culture we're getting, we're not doing a good job of that. I mean, I think that's what part does of that what come saying. down. Does that come back to the state of the family? Is that partly why? I, I think it does to a certain extent. I mean, we're family, keep, families we keep, are we, families we, are disengaged. Families are broken. Families are separated. Well, so so if if and this is so there's this not is a lot a, of the, that, this is that training ground that practice facility is not in real great shape. Well, then the, what you're, addition, what you're and, a, and that even flows from the same thing. If we can't agree what a family is and you hold a, a family is X out here separate from you and me, that's what a real, that's what a family is meant to be. Not what I'm living, not what you're living, but a family is meant to be. If we can't discuss that and come to a common agreement on that, then if I'm saying, well, that's, you know, the way your family is, you know, if it's today in this gender equality or two men, two women with a child as a family, you know, if we talk about that as, well, that's not what we believe is a family, then they're taking it as we're attacking them. Or maybe with the way we portray that is we're attacking them. We may attack them too. So, I mean, I'm, I would say that there may be even a tendency to do that. This, this, culture leads us to believe that anything that we hold to be true, we have to defend like as if it's our honor, as opposed to saying, let's discuss this. Let's talk. That's what I think is happening here. This is a non-Christian in this article that we read. It's a non-Christian. Well, maybe he's a Christian. I don't know. Zimmerman, he probably he may or may not be. He's certainly not saying he's a Christian, and he's, and he's putting out ideas that seem reasonable, but those are things to talk about that we should be able to discuss with others. And what do you think about this? Or how does that, without attacking what a person believes, starting with the person themselves, instead of we gotta we gotta say there's truth. And that's maybe I think, you can maybe you can try to get it. Maybe we can try to get it back to um, dis, you know decisions. So you take a um, same-sex attracted person even if they believe that that's a core of their identity and that it, they're, they're born that way, right. you could perhaps a, a, a starting point for discussion could still be, okay, you, but you can choose to you know, live celibately or, or not. You can choose to um, have uh, deep friendships or you can choose to have what you're what you're calling marriage you can choose to, do you know like you yeah. can so you you've you've made these choices and so i'm just i'm talking with you about the choices you've made i'm not talking i'm not attacking you as 
who you are. I'm just asking you about I'm asking you about the choices you've made. Yeah, no, and I think you know I'm I'm sitting here thinking about that. We, we, I think it, from a Christian standpoint, what Pope Francis would say is we have to recognize that we share the unity of being human beings. We're, yeah, we're, and that's digni- a- and, that, and and that there's dignity in being human. No matter what you believe or whatever, right, right? And so, if we can say we're united in that, <laughs> there is this diversity out here, and we disagree on these things. Let's start with: I'm going to treat you with respect and dignity, even though you and I disagree completely. But let's talk about what do these ideas get? You know, what are these ideas? What have they led to? And let's look at them as human beings commonly seeking what's good for you and me, for this culture, for this country, for this community, those are things we got to learn how to do. I mean, we've got to teach our kids that you can't squash your younger brother or put them down because they don't agree with or don't like the same things that you like. You have to treat them as their, their brother and maybe find the things that even if you don't agree with them or don't like that, mm-hmm. that really are just a matter of opinion, not mm-hmm. really truth. And yeah. And I guess, you know, you can see this kind of coming out a little bit with when you're a parent with your, Oh, well, yeah, we're, or, 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 we're going to have to save this for another time, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, but I think Continued from, from this, time. I just think, I think there's families, if we'll just try to remember that, uh, that we need to start focusing on, um, on unity based on the fact that we are a family, father, son, mother, daughter, and that we all are seeking for a common goal and that we trust each other uh, with our differences. And anyway, that may or may not have been it. But God bless you guys and um, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.